You are listening to the Treasuring Christ Church podcast. At TCC, we believe that church isn't just like a family, but it is a family. We hope you're encouraged by listening to God's word today, but we would love to see you on Sundays at 1030. For more information, check us out online at tccannarbor.com. It's a good day uh, to celebrate and rejoice in what God is doing. We're going to be in the passage you just heard in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. You want to turn your Bible there? You can. Um, In fact, I think it's fitting this passage uh, today that we go through it as we celebrate baptism, uh, which uh, is a public profession uh, of one's faith in Christ, uh, making uh, public and, and displaying uh, symbolically what happens when a person trusts in Christ, that they uh, are buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk in newness of life. We have a Savior who died for our sins and who rose from the dead, and when we trust in him, our life is defined by what he has done for us. And In baptism, we publicly profess that. And in many ways, as, as we look at our passage today, baptism is perhaps uh, one of the most fitting um, Uh, conclusions to our message as we see Jesus's basic call to discipleship, to follow him and to to become fishers of men, uh, fishers of men and women. Um, Our passage uh, today records Jesus's uh, calling of his first disciples and their calling uh, is really our calling as well today as individual followers of Christ as well as the church. Uh, It really defines our mission as God's people uh, to follow Jesus and help others do the same. In many ways, I couldn't help but think of uh, some of the, the movies uh, that, uh, that start off with maybe there's this individual person or a group of people who get this mission, and then there's this time of training that goes on throughout the movie. I thought of like Karate Kid uh, and all the training that goes in, you know, as they, uh, as they kind of prepare, or the Three Ninjas uh, movie, if you remember that one, as they kind of prepare, or even uh, some of the uh, animated movies like Kung Fu Panda, as there's this group that is training and preparing for this epic battle that's to come, or like every underdog sports movie, you know, that um, that, that there's this individual or a team that has to go through this training and they're terrible, but as they're training, they're getting better. And there's like this 15 minute sequence of their training and uh, all that takes place. And it all comes to this climax uh, with their, um, their competition and their winning uh, the championship or competing uh, in the fight or whatever it may be. It, it kind of feels that way when Jesus begins uh, to call his first disciples. Uh, and uh, he gathers this group of people. And in many ways, they're not the group of people that you would think that you would want on your team for this worldwide mission that he is about to embark on. Uh, and yet we see that God's plans aren't our plans, that God's ways aren't our ways, and that he does all of this in such a way that it is abundantly clear that it is not the ingenuity uh, and the creativity and the skill of man uh, that uh, is responsible for the mission of God, but it is uh, the grace of God, uh, the provision of God, uh, and uh, and all glory goes to God uh, as we think about the nature of discipleship and the mission that God has called us to. Uh, And so 
That, that really uh, kind of sets the scene for what we see in Mark 1, 16 through 20. But I want to remind you of the, the purpose of Mark, kind of the three main uh, purposes that we, we kind of discussed a few weeks ago. Uh, the first is the pastoral purpose of the Gospel of Mark. Mark writes uh, most likely to a, um, uh, to a mixed audience, Jew and Gentile, probably to the believers in Rome were maybe the first Christians to receive uh, this uh, gospel account, but it was intended to be widely distributed. Uh, but in it, we can see a very pastoral purpose, namely to teach about the nature of discipleship. Uh, Mark uh, gives us time and time again lessons about discipleship from Jesus, about what it means to, to follow Jesus. Uh, and Jesus gives us this basic invitation to follow him. It's the most repeated uh, invitation that we see throughout the gospel of Mark and throughout the other four gospels as well. We also see that there's kind of a missionary training purpose, if you will, to explain how Jesus prepared his followers to take on his mission uh, and, and then to, to pass that on to others. There's this sense of training and equipping that's taken place as we read through the gospels. We get this glimpse as to what Jesus is doing with this small group of believers that is an implication of what's to happen throughout our lives as we follow Christ. Um, and then we see this apologetic purpose that's to demonstrate to those who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose from the dead. Um, and so uh, as, we, as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we see uh, these three purposes come together. Uh, and it's this reminder to us uh, that when we read it, uh, we're going to see one or more of these purposes kind of come to the forefront in a passage. And in today's passage, it really is uh, those first two, the pastoral purpose and the missionary training purpose. This is a glimpse as to the nature of discipleship as well as the equipping uh, that goes into carrying out the mission uh, of God. Um, and so uh, this passage is, uh, could, in, in the gospel as a whole, really could be seen as a, as a master class, uh, if you will, on discipleship, uh, on what it means to follow Jesus. And I love one commentator as he uh, reflects on this call uh, of the disciples in this passage. He says, they may and often will fail Jesus and disappoint him. But their role is crucial to the achievement of his mission, for it is through this flawed and vulnerable group of people that God's kingship will come to be known in the world. He says it's tracing the development of Jesus' disciples, both their successes and more frequently their failures. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. That Mark will show us the basis for our own discipleship. Um, and... Uh, I, I often try to point out things that I think help us as believers to have greater confidence and trust in God's word. Um, when you read what the Gospels have to say about the disciples, uh, the, the ones who are primarily responsible for passing on uh, this good news about Jesus, uh, you can be assured uh, that these aren't stories that they've made up to make themselves look better. In fact, they come out looking uh, like the heel in the story uh, most often. They, they come out, uh, we come out seeing their flaws and their failure. Because the point of, of the Gospels isn't to, isn't to highlight the, the accomplishment of man, but it's to highlight the glory of Christ. Um, and what they do is they show their inadequacies as they follow Christ on his mission because it's a reminder to us that just like Jesus called inadequate people to begin his mission, he continues to use inadequate people like you and I to carry out his mission. And what comfort and encouragement is to us as we uh, follow Christ today. So I want us to see uh, two things in this passage as it relates to discipleship. Uh, the call to follow Jesus and the cost to follow Jesus. 
We see here in uh, verse 16, the the setting is set uh, for the call to follow Jesus. It says that Jesus passed alongside the Sea of Galilee and seeing Simon and Andrew, who is Simon's brothers, uh, casting a net into the sea, uh, for they were fishermen, and he calls them to follow me. Um, And uh, this setting of uh, the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum, which would kind of be Jesus's home base, at least on this front end of his ministry, it's about 17 miles or 18 miles from Nazareth, where Jesus, we know from uh, the scriptures, says that he grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, but largely grew up in Nazareth after he returned uh, from fleeing to Egypt when, um, when Herod sought to take his life. And this is Uh, So not very far from Nazareth, but it's about 70 miles from Jerusalem, far outside uh, the halls of power and importance and significance in in the Jewish world at this time. And what we see here in this call to follow Jesus is that Jesus calls the unexpected to follow him. He comes from Nazareth, which is far from significant. Uh, In fact, it's really a no-name town. Uh, He begins his ministry in Galilee, which was also far from from Jerusalem and the the significance that it carried. And then he calls fishermen who are far from noble at this time to be his first disciples. Uh, In many ways, it it just kind of stacks up with this unexpected uh, nature of the call to follow Jesus. An unexpected uh, Savior has come from an unexpected place uh, to an unexpected location to call unexpected people to carry out his mission. Their work uh, was fishermen, a work that no doubt was good, and in that area it was the center of trade, uh, but it was insignificant in many ways in the eyes of the world. Uh, they, they weren't uh, what people would exactly look up to and expect. And in fact, later on, we see that, that people were suspect about Jesus because his followers were these fishermen from Galilee. Um, this insignificant place. What, what could they do? How could this group? I love one of the early church fathers, Origen, uh, and, and then later on Eusebius said, how could these unlearned Galileans be responsible for teaching the nations the gospel? Like it's this unexpected people for this unexpected mission. The kingdom of God comes not with fanfare, one commentator said, but the gradual gathering of a group of socially insignificant people in an unnoticed corner of provincial Galilee. It's, it's, it's set up in such a way to, to, to many ways kind of take us back. What is Jesus doing here calling these people to be his disciples? And if this doesn't shock us, wait until Jesus calls a tax collector uh, who is in bed with the Romans, uh, swindling his own people to be one of his disciples. Uh, Jesus calls the unexpected to follow him. Eusebius said, the irony of providence is that such an extraordinary mission would depend on such ordinary men. Why does God do it this way? In many ways, it's compelling, right, that he calls these uh, no-name people um, unexpected and in many ways insignificant in the eyes of the world. But it's not exactly the game plan that we would draw up today. And in fact, we, we, we do this a lot in the evangelical Christian space. We, we get a celebrity that's committed their life to Christ, and, and we want to platform them as if their profession makes Christ credible. Right? And, and I'm not saying that it's not good that there are people in power who profess Christ. But do you know that the, the person in power who professes Christ 
has no greater significance in the eyes of God than the person who is of no repute, who professes faith in Christ. Like that's how the kingdom of God turns the world upside down on its head. Jesus does not come to the halls of power and call them to be his first disciples. He comes to an insignificant corner of Galilee and calls some fishermen to be his disciples. He himself being from Nazareth. What good thing can come from Nazareth? So, so what is it that, that God is trying to accomplish in this way? Is he saying that the gospel isn't for the rich and the powerful? It's only for the poor and the weak? No, I don't think that's what he's saying. But in fact, I think what he's doing, and this is the early church fathers got this, uh, Origen said, there could be no doubt that it is not by human strength or resources that the word of Christ comes to prevail with all authority and convincing power in the hearts and minds of all humanity. You see, what I think Jesus is doing is when it comes, when it comes to Jesus, he shows us by going to the least of these that he's come for all people. He shows us that it does not matter your station in life, your status in the eyes of the world. It doesn't matter how significant other people see you. In the kingdom of God, those things do not matter. Instead, what matters is that we respond to his death and his resurrection. We repent and we believe. We respond to his call to follow him and humble ourselves and say, we are at your disposal. You see, those who who have it together or who have achieved greatly in life, maybe at times have a hard time humbling themselves to admit their need and to submit themselves fully to Christ. Often it's those who are weak in the eyes of the world who do not need to be convinced of their need, but who need to see the provision that Christ has offered us. You see, time and time again, as Jesus calls the unexpected, he doesn't tell them that their, their, their status as, as insignificant and poor is what makes them uh, valuable in the eyes of God. It's always our response to God that makes, the, the, makes the, the difference as to what our relationship with Jesus is. So being, being poor or being rich or, or uh, being a failure or being a success that has no standing as to whether you can come to Christ. There may be obstacles or barriers that are unique to each position, but what's most fundamental is that you respond to Jesus. He's come for all. But in coming to the least of these, in coming to these insignificant fishermen and calling them to be his disciples, he's showing us that the kingdom is for everyone. The way of the kingdom is not by showing Jesus your credentials and saying, look, let me in. Put me in the game. I'm ready to compete. I'm ready to to partake in your mission. The the kingdom of God works when we recognize that our credentials mean nothing. In fact, we hand them over to God, recognizing them to be insufficient in His eyes to make make us acceptable before Him. And instead of showing Him our credentials, instead we come to Him and we receive His completed work. We receive what He offers to us and we confess Him and trust in Him as our Savior and King. He calls the unexpected to follow him. And that's good news for you and I because we're exactly the kind of people that God wants to use. Rich or poor, significant or insignificant, no matter where we've come from, God desires when we respond to him in repentance and faith and in humility and trust to use us for his sake. 
But we also see as he calls these unexpected people to follow him, he, he's doing something unique and it's showing us his authority. Jesus has authority to call us to follow him. And in fact, starting after this passage, verse uh, 21 through the remainder of chapter one into chapter two, the authority of Jesus is going to come to the forefront uh, of the passages that we look at. Um, and, and at this time, uh, there were rabbis that often uh, would gather a group of disciples to, to learn from them and to follow them. But in, in those scenarios, the standard pattern of the time is for those who desired to learn from the rabbi, they would come to the rabbi and request to be their disciple. There was something perhaps about the rabbi that would draw people to them to, to come and request to learn under them, to apprentice under them, to study the Torah from them. But here Jesus isn't, isn't a rabbi. He isn't merely a rabbi, one who goes about teaching, though we know he does. But instead we see there's something unique about Jesus. It's Jesus who takes the initiative to call people to follow him. He's not the rabbi waiting for those who would desire to follow him to come to him, but he goes to them and says, follow me. Jesus has the authority to do that. As you notice in the call, it's not a request. It's not a go home and, you know, talk it over with your spouse and get back to me and see if you'd like to follow me. Uh, it's a command. And in the following verses, we see Jesus's authority uh, come under fire. And we, we know that what is taking place here is Jesus demonstrating his authority to call people to follow him. <laughs> I try to think about what this would look like today, right? Like if we were to gather a group of people um, to do something significant with us. I, I, and, and obviously, depending on your personality, maybe you're the, uh, the, the type A person who just kind of gives it as it is and, and, and you call people to do something no matter what it costs and, and you worry about it later. Or maybe you're the kind of person that couches everything, uh, you know, but I just think about what it would look like to gather people uh, for this kind of work that Jesus was calling them to do. I mean, it, it, would, be, it would be like us going to a group of people. We, we'd probably shoot them a text or maybe this is so important that we would actually call them. Um, and, uh, and then we would say, you know, hey, um, doing this thing, uh, world domination, uh, taking the gospel to the nations, um, it's a big deal. I was wondering if possibly maybe you would think and pray and consider about going with me. Um, I don't exactly know where we'll go. I don't know exactly how long it'll take. I don't know exactly what it'll look like, but I was wondering if you would think about possibly doing this with me. And, you know, take some time, no rush, get back to me. Maybe we can uh, work it out if you have any questions, but I would love for you to maybe sort of think about doing this with me. You know, like, we, would, we would couch it in all these different ways, kind of recognizing the, the enormity of the task uh, in order to prepare the person to receive it. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. I mean, put yourself in the disciples' shoes, on the other hand. Think about being, you know, getting off work and being in your driveway. And some dude comes up to you and it's like, hey, follow me. Right? You know, you're like, I don't know about that. You know, like, uh, pretty, sure my, uh, pretty sure my family uh, told me. That's what happens when you're tall and your stand um, doesn't, uh, doesn't cooperate. Um, <clears throat> I told you I get excited on uh, baptism Sundays. Um, so, uh, speaking of unexpected, right? Um, <clears throat> so somebody comes up to you, you know, and says, follow me. I mean, 
all of us would be like, number one, who are you? And depending on how like nice they looked, we probably would run right like into the house, you know, and, and like, hey, uh, police officer, <laughs> some strange dude is outside inviting me to follow him. Uh, I don't know where I don't know to what to uh, what to. But odds are we're all taking a really hard pass on the invitation to follow the unknown dude uh, calling you to follow him. But not with Jesus. The gospel accounts tell us elsewhere that most likely Jesus has already had some interaction with Andrew, who most likely was a disciple of John, uh, who was the brother of Peter. And Jesus had stayed at Peter's house, uh, at Peter's mother's house, at the, at the very least, that we see in the other Gospels. So it's likely that Jesus had perhaps had some kind of relationship here. But what is abundantly clear, Mark doesn't tell us any of that. Mark is seeking to kind of uh, show um, the, uh, the, the urgency of the call. Uh, and the authority of Jesus in calling us to follow him. Uh, because he just states it uh, matter-of-factly. As he was going by the Sea of Galilee, he sees them doing their work, and he says, follow me. And it says they immediately leave their nets and follow him. It, it, it's clear as we think about Jesus' call to follow him that he's, he's not like anyone else. He's not just another rabbi. He's not just another teacher. There's something different about him, and Mark has already told us what that is. He's the promised Messiah. He's the Son of God. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, uh, as we see in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And when he speaks, we listen. He doesn't just receive requests from would-be disciples to follow him. He goes to those whom he wills and calls them to follow him. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded and, and heard this statement in this way that I think brings clarity to what we see here in this passage. And it's that Jesus's authority flows from his identity. It's because of who Jesus is as the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior to come. And that's, that's, we already see that uh, just in the, in the verses 1 through 15. We're already told that much to this point in the Gospels. And it's on that basis that we follow him. I don't know if you have people in your life that, like, when they call you, no matter what you're doing, you just kind of take the call um, as, as best as you can. I mean, there may be, you know, there may be a situation where you can't at that moment, but you're calling them as soon as you can. Or maybe you hear somebody's voice, and, and it's like whatever, whatever needs to be done, you go uh, and, uh, and, you, and you help them. Uh, and in my life, my kids and my wife are those people. If, if like, I'm in a public setting and... Um, I hear my kid like cry, cry, you know, there's like cry. And then there's like cry, cry. Uh, where you're like, they're, they're really hurt. You know, like it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Hey, sorry, I'm going to help. Just hearing the voice. Uh, Emily and I, we have this thing. If we need each other, sometimes you call once uh, and we're like, I don't know if it went through. Maybe you call a second time. Uh, but if, if you really need each other, uh, you call the third time and it doesn't matter what's happening. You stop and you take the call. Right. Like uh, everything else drops because of the significance of that person. Uh, demands that we respond. It's kind of like that with Jesus here. His authority flows from his identity. The, the, the need for us to respond to him is on the basis of who he is. So the question for us is how do we respond to Jesus? Does Jesus have our ear? When he speaks through his word, how do we respond? See, Jesus alone has the authority to call us to himself, to, to call us to turn from our own way and to submit to him. He alone has the authority to turn us inside out and to turn our lives upside down in the pursuit of following him. 
And so when he speaks, we ought to respond as we see here in the gospel of Mark immediately is the nature of the obedience of the disciples. This is an important question for us to consider how we respond to the voice of Jesus. And I can't help but think here as Jesus calls his first disciples, there may be some even in this room that God may be calling to to vocational ministry in some capacity, may be calling to, to serve him on the mission field. Maybe you felt God tugging you in some direction one way or the other, not sure what it means or what it would look like. But I want to encourage you not to neglect where God might be calling not to put off exploring what God might be doing and calling you to do. But I also believe that God may very well be speaking into our lives, often through his word and through community with other believers, uh, to, to reach out to a friend, to share the gospel with a coworker or a classmate or a roommate. Maybe God is, is calling us to, to serve a neighbor, to, to take some aspect of our faith more seriously. To, to commit ourselves anew to him. We've been walking through this um, uh, equip class at 930 on, uh, on, on the aspect of spiritual formation. Maybe God's calling us to pursue spiritual formation greater. I so appreciated this morning just thinking about practically what it looks like to think about the habits of our life and how they influence our spiritual formation. I think it's, it's easy to become comfortable with ignoring God's voice or delaying our response to God's voice. And frankly, delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is full disobedience. When we're not responding to what God has called us to, we're not walking in fellowship with Him. So does Jesus have your ear? Are you listening to His voice, especially as He speaks through His Word? Jesus has the authority to call us to follow him. And then we see the nature of this call as he calls us to follow him and help others do the same. Uh, I'm going to repeat something that we said a few weeks ago. And so uh, if you hear me, uh, I'm intentionally doing this, but it's, uh, it overlaps with what we saw in the great commission of Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it's the idea of what is a disciple. Here is the essence of discipleship in Mark 1, 16 through 20. What is a disciple? A disciple, we said, is someone who follows Jesus and helps others do the same. This is why we say a disciple is a disciple maker. It doesn't mean that it's all going to happen all at once. But the journey of our following Christ means that we follow him. That means we love him and we know him. And we desire to help others love and know him along the way. And we see that here in this call. Follow me and I will make you fishers. I will make you fish for people. I will make you fishers of men, he says. There's this follow me call and then this fisher of people call. These two things that go together to, uh, to know him and to love him, to follow him. And then as I'd like to say it, to help others do the same. We'll look at that in depth. What does it mean to fish for people? But here we see the, the essence of discipleship and what it means to, uh, to be a disciple is to follow Jesus and help others do the same. Think about fo- these, these two words, follow me. Literally, follow means come after me. That's the, that's the actual language that Jesus gives here. It's the calling of a, uh, of a student to follow a master, an apprentice, uh, if you will, to, um, to learn from, to emulate, to obey the teaching of the one you follow. The Gospel of Mark, as I mentioned, is this kind of live action discipleship training 
uh, course, if you will, showing us what it means to be Jesus' disciples. We go where he goes. We do what he does. We, li- we, li- what he does. Uh, we do what he does. Uh, <clears throat> like I said, you could take me out of Arkansas, but you can't always take the Arkansas out of me. Uh, we listen to his teaching. We serve him. We serve with him. In, in many ways, simply to follow Jesus means to enjoy being with Jesus. It's the call of being with him, of listening to him, of following him uh, and, and emulating him, walking in obedience to him. That's the call to follow. And then think about who we follow. Follow me, Jesus says, the promised Messiah, the son of God, the one worthy of all glory, the one affirmed by God, the father and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the, the sinless one who obeys in every way that we disobey, who obeyed in the ways that Adam disobeyed, who, who succeeded where Israel failed. He is the sinless savior come to deliver us from our sins. And that is only based on verses one through 15 of chapter one of the gospel of Mark. That's to say nothing about the fact that Jesus has the ability to calm the seas simply by speaking a word. He has the ability to heal the sick simply by touching without himself becoming sick and unclean. He he has the ability to cast out demons. They shudder at his voice because they know his identity as the Son of God. And as Mark chapter 7, verse 37 says, he has done everything well. Follow me. Come after me, Jesus says. That's That's the call. To enjoy being with Him and to follow Him, to give our lives to Him. And then we see that there's this other aspect of becoming fishers of men. On the one hand, this seems like a natural kind of word picture, right? He's calling fishermen. Hey, you used to fish for people. Now you're fishing for uh, fish for, you used to fish for fish. Uh, now you're fishing for people, right? Uh, it's this kind of natural connection. And yet there's an Old Testament implication in Jeremiah chapter 16. Verses 16 through 18, God says he's going to send fishermen and they're going to fish for people. And afterwards, they will send for many hunters and they will hunt for them from every mountain, every hill, from the clefts of the rock. And what they're going to announce in Jeremiah is judgment. The fishers are coming to announce judgment. They're catching the people to tell them of judgment. He says in verse 18, I will doubly repay repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land. They have filled my inheritance with carcasses of their detestable idols with their abominations. Not a very pleasant sight. But Jesus does something different here. Whereas the context of judgment is judgment in Jeremiah 16, the context of Mark 1 based on verses 14 through 15 is salvation. See, Jesus sends us out as fishers of people rather than catching people for judgment. He is calling upon us to rescue people from judgment by proclaiming the message of the gospel, which invites us to repent and believe. That's the call. Follow me and become fishers of people. And I love this. I love this statement here because it reminds us Jesus has announced the kingdom of God. And I mentioned last week, sometimes it can be hard to fully understand the kingdom. What does it mean to be in the kingdom? Uh, It's already, it's not yet, it's not a place, it's the reign of God. Sometimes our perception of the kingdom uh, can be like my three-year-old's perception of where he is located, whether he is in Ann Arbor or Michigan or the United States. Uh, And the answer is yes, and yet it's all very confusing. Um, and, uh, and, and in a similar way, we think about the kingdom. It's like, yes, the king, we, are, we are a part of the kingdom. If we've uh, repented of our sins and trusted in Christ and are following the king, well, well, how does the kingdom work? What is the evidence that the kingdom of God 
is operative in a particular place. The evidence of the kingdom of God uh, being active and, and being present is wherever you see people following Jesus and helping others do the same. The evidence of the kingdom of God is wherever you see discipleship taking place, wherever you see disciple making taking place. Because there, in that sense, as people follow Jesus, as they give themselves in submission and worship to the crucified and risen Jesus, there you see a foretaste of what's to come for all eternity. When our lives are centered on Jesus and we submit and worship him and give him the glory that he's due. That's what's taking place in discipleship. That very ordinary, sometimes messy, sometimes difficult process of together seeking to encourage each other to look at God's word and to center our lives around Christ, to put off sin, to to pursue holiness, to live on mission, to make Christ known. That whole process that we call discipleship is the very evidence that Jesus is reigning and ruling over that group of people. It's the evidence that Jesus is ruling and reigning over the saints gathered at Treasuring Christ Church or the saints gathered at another church. Uh, The the evidence of the reign of Christ across uh, this world is where we see people following Jesus and helping others do the same. And I I love the idea that following implies a process, that, that it isn't just like, um, it isn't just merely about a, a certain belief. In fact, there's not this hard distinction between believing and following. Jesus can just as easily say, repent and believe in the gospel. And then he can turn around and say, and follow me. To, to believe isn't just an intellectual acceptance of something, as we've heard in our testimonies today, but it's a surrendering of our lives to follow after Christ. And that's the, the call, and that implies a process. It's not like that happens overnight. But the most basic invitation that Jesus gives is this, to follow me. And I think it's because it demonstrates that in, in, order, to, uh, in order to claim the name of Christ, what we are doing is we, we're not just like saying like, yeah, I believe. Like we, you, know, you check in somewhere online. Like I checked in like Christian. Uh, it, it's this idea of, uh, of our whole life being about following after him, of, of being patterned after him. And then beyond that, we see that this call to, to, to help others do the same is also something that God must accomplish in us. Do you notice, notice this simple word in uh, verse 17? He says, follow me. And, and Jesus told them, and here's the word, I will make. This is what Jesus will do. If, in fact, we should take the whole thing. I will make this implication of something that he is going to do and bring about uh, through uh, these disciples and ultimately through us as we commit to follow Christ. He's going to make us in to disciple makers. And so just as we ought to be continually cultivating our love for and our pursuit of Christ, we ought to be cultivating what it means to reach others For the gospel, what it means to share the gospel with others, what it means to uh, serve others, what it means to live in such a way that we make Christ, we commend Christ to uh, a watching world. It's a call to, to continually be transformed more and more like Christ so that we can make Christ known to others. In fact, I, I did a little equation for the math types here. Um, no numbers, so that's good for you. Uh, here, here's the process of what, what we're doing here. We're to, to love, learn, and do, and it equals us becoming who Christ has called us to be. So let me flesh this out a little bit more. We, we seek to uh, love Christ, and we add to that, we learn uh, His Word and His ways. And then we seek to declare and display the gospel. This is the doing, the carrying out, the emulating, the the following after Christ. And when we do, we become disciples who make disciples. 
This is, this is the, the equation. This is the, the journey. This is the, the process. Trust the process. Give yourself to, to growing in love for Christ. Give yourself to learning His Word and His ways. Give yourself to declaring and displaying the gospel. Consider these questions. Ask yourself, where do I need to cultivate greater delight in God? All of our ministry flows from our, our devotion. Our, our worship is what fuels our mission. So where do I need to cultivate greater delight in God? Where do I need to further be equipped in my knowledge of God? Where or how do I need to grow in displaying the love of God? What does it look like to serve? How do I need to be stretched? Maybe it's not something you need to learn, but it's maybe a challenge that you need to take. To follow Christ and to live on mission is to take risk. It's to, to risk being rejected. It's to risk being misunderstood as you seek to love and serve people. And how do I grow in declaring the gospel of God? See, these are questions that, that we, should, we should evaluate ourselves with to, to understand how are we doing and, and being a disciple and carrying out the call to follow Jesus and help others do the same. And I want us to conclude today uh, just by considering briefly the cost of following Jesus. It's kind of woven into what Jesus says here to this point. But starting in verse 18, we see the response of the disciples. First, Andrew and Simon says immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Then he goes on and he sees James and John and they're in their boat with their father and they're tending to their nets. And he calls them and it says immediately uh, as he called them, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. See, they leave behind their, their work, which is their livelihood. They, they leave behind their family, which is in large measure their security and their belonging and their comfort. They leave behind all these things in the pursuit of Christ. We, we know from elsewhere that those disciples who are married, they didn't give up their wives. They, uh, they uh, continued to, to be married and they had families, but we know that following Jesus would mean significant time away from them. It would be costly. They, they leave behind the known predictable pattern of their life for the, own, the unknown, unpredictable pattern of following Christ. It still happens today when a person professes faith in Christ and perhaps it's family members or perhaps it's friends and they say, what are you doing? Like you're following Jesus? That's insane. The, the way you pattern your life, you go to church on Sundays. I mean, there's so many good things you can do on Sunday morning. Have you seen the brunch at Savas? It's incredible. Like, have you, have you, what about all these other things you can do? How, why are you giving yourself to all of that? It just seems foolishness. Why, why would you give up everything to go to that place and to tell other people about Jesus? They don't want to hear about Jesus. What are you doing there? Why, why would you do these things? Why, why would you seek to live in such a way that you don't just do what, whatever naturally you desire to do, but instead you seek to restrict yourself by what? God says and what the Bible says. Continually, time and time again, we see that to follow Jesus is to embrace the cost of following Jesus. Consider Luke chapter 9, verse 57 through 62. Jesus says, as we, it's recorded as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds, have air, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We have to give up convenience to follow him and comfort to another. He said, follow me. But he said, they, they said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. Just give me a little bit of time so I can kind of say bye to everybody at home. 
And Jesus said to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 14, we see Jesus said a great crowd accompanied him and he turned to them and he said, if anyone would come after me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciples. Follow me, Jesus said. It will mean that we're willing to sacrifice our comfort, our security, our family, our work, even our very lives. When Jesus said that you must hate your family, your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife, your husband, all these things, he, he's saying in comparison to our love and our commitment to Christ and, and our love and our commitment to our family, which is probably the second greatest commitment that we have in our life, the gap between this love and that love will seem like hate. Because we will say that whatever you call me to, there is no line that I'm willing uh, to mark of my commitment to you. And what do we get in response? In fact, in Mark chapter 10, after Jesus tells the rich young ruler to go and sell everything to come follow me because he knows that's the one thing he's holding on to, the disciples are a little overwhelmed. And they say, hey, Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. As, as if to say, like, what, what about us, Jesus? And Jesus says to him, says to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, Jesus says that in Christ and in the family of God, we are rewarded a hundredfold whatever we give up in the pursuit of following Christ. And whatever sacrifices we make in this life that make us think, man, we have, done, we have gone without in our pursuit of Christ. He says, know that in the age to come, there is eternal life. There is joy and satisfaction beyond anything that we've experienced in this life. Though we may be last now and that day will be first. Though we are servants of all now, on that day we will gladly be servants of Christ who give him the worship and the glory that he's due. There is a reward for those who are willing to count the cost and follow him. You say, geez, Michael, it's kind of intense. I've got some friends here and my baptism and stuff. And it's like, leave everything to follow me. I can't qualify Jesus' words. I know we're not the first disciples. But here's what I think it means for you and I. Does it mean that you have to sacrifice today all of your comfort, all of your security, your family, your career, your status, your life to follow Jesus? Is that what it means today? I think it means yes, that's what it means today. It may not mean that those things are called for from you today, but as a follower of Christ, our comfort, our security, our family, our work, our status, even our life is at the disposal of Christ. It's yours in fact, David Platt said in his book, Follow Me, when you look at the Gospels in the New Testament, you will not see people who are satisfied to receive forgiveness of their sins and then who go about living as if casual acquaintance with God is sufficient. Instead, what you will find as you consider the Gospels is a radical abandonment for the glory of Christ. What we find when we consider Jesus' call to follow him is, is that following Jesus cannot be simply an addition to your life. You see, to follow Jesus is to make him your life. It's to make him the center of your life. It's to make him the priority of your life. It's for him to be preeminent in your life. It's for him to be on the throne of your heart and for everything else to be put at his feet. 
all of my life at your disposal. My prayer is that we would be a church made up of disciples, fully committed to Christ and to one another, who together spur each other on to remind ourselves of the worth of Christ and the call of Christ to follow Him and help others do the same, who know the cost of following Him and who gladly bear that cost because we know the significance and the worth of the one we follow. And we know the reward that awaits those who follow Christ. See, what we're about to observe in the baptismal waters is a reality of what takes place when a person commits themselves to Christ. See, when we wrote, when we commit ourselves to Christ, what we say is, God, my life isn't my own. It belongs to you. I can't save myself. I need you. I'm dependent on you. I surrender everything to you. I I believe and I come after you. In humility, I say, God, everything is yours. My life is at your disposal. Is your life at Christ's disposal? Today, are, are, are we ready to say, Lord, everything I have is yours? And you see, I think it's essential that we ask this question. Because in, in setting out to pursue Christ in our culture today, at some point, perhaps sooner rather than later, the, the commitment to Christ and our life in this world will, will bring us to the point of saying, is it worth it to follow Christ? Is it worth it to identify with Christ, to commit myself to Him, to obey Him? Or, or will I be satisfied with casual acquaintance with Him? Perhaps the, the indictment upon American Christianity is that there are many who desire to have the forgiveness of sins, but who are, who are satisfied with the mere acquaintance with God throughout their life. And when we, and we juxtapose that, that type of, of an American Christianity to the call of Jesus, which says, come after me. Anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back isn't worthy to follow me. It's a reminder that Jesus calls us to, to surrender ourselves to him. And it's a, it's a reminder that he's worthy. He's worthy of that type of commitment. When we make ourselves at his disposal, we'll never regret it. So I want to pray. I'm going to ask our band to come and help us respond to him.